This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, we have got a great guest for you. Mr. Joel Stevenson from Yesware, and he's going to talk a little bit about how they're changing the sales game with their software product today. And I found these guys through a mutual acquaintance and decided we needed to have them on so you could hear their message. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Joel Stevenson. What's up, Joel? Not much. Happy to be here. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, I'll tell you, Joel, I'll tell you exactly how I'm doing today. My wife is out of town, and Kyle knows what's getting <laughs> He raised the eyebrows. I was in Phoenix last week for a conference. I came in, I gave my wife a high five, which I thought was just welcoming <laughs> me home, and it wasn't. It was like WWE tag team, and she left See and ya. went to Ohio for the week for work. And we have got a special needs son who does not behave very well in the mornings, and specifically when mommy is gone. So the way my day started out today was waking up to find out that he had ripped a $100 bill in half that was left on the counter for the cleaning lady. He had eaten 15 chocolate chip cookies in the middle of the night. He took out a pack of 48 icy frozen pops that were in our freezer and left them sitting on the kitchen table. And by the time I was done uh, wanting to beat him within an inch of his life, which I did not do, I needed to get them to school so that I was able to make it to the MRI machine on time to get an MRI for a tumor that's on my rib cage <laughs> that has not been completely removed during surgery. Uh, so uh. I'm going to have to have a second surgery. So I show up for my MRI, and apparently it was made for Lilliputians, and I'm Gulliver because I couldn't get past my kneecaps into the MRI machine before they had to back me out and tell me to find another a place to go get an MRI. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Wow. I don't know that I could have put a hot dog in that thing, and it would have fit. So, you know... It's at the end of the day, Joel, I'm doing just freaking skippy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Serenity now. Poor guy, man. Uh, <laughs> You're not kidding, man. So anyhow, I, I appreciate it. You know, my, the only reason I even went into that is because there's so many people who listen to the show that know who Ethan is by name and understand that literally anything that can happen will happen uh, in our family. So they got their their daily dose. But anyhow. Now that we've started off with a bang, why don't you go into a little bit about your background and what you're doing, and then I want to spend you know the rest of the time just let's talk about sales and technology and how you guys are sort of changing the face of how that stuff is is working going forward. Yeah, great. Well, yeah, I'm I'm CEO of uh, Yesware. Uh, Yesware is software for salespeople. We've got an application that lives. Uh, deeply inside of your inbox, so whether that's Gmail or Outlook, and helps you get some time back, helps you figure out who's opening your emails, helps you figure out what content's working, helps you sort of string series of communications together to a group of people uh, to be able to reach more people in less time. And uh, before I was at Yesware, I actually spent seven and a half years at uh, Wayfair, uh, which you might have might have heard of, um, e-commerce company. And were you um, the guy that programmed like the child trafficking stuff on the website? <laughs> Holy cow! Do you what was that nonsense about? Uh, no, I wasn't. But you know, funny story. When I was there, we did. There was a project that was sort of a rogue project we did once, where we loaded like. 
I don't know, like 5 million SKUs into the Wayfair website from this one big distributor. And I think some of those products, were like it was like weird industrial cabinets and stuff. I think some yeah. of those products maybe were the ones that, uh, that, uh, that somebody decided was this weird conspiracy. Yeah, that was a... That, that was uh, strange so, happening. Yeah, so for everybody listening, Joel obviously had nothing to do with that. That was me being sarcastic on what was an incredibly strange news story that came really out. Was. Like, it really yeah. I'm like, really, people? I mean, are we really that much of a lack of, of news that we have to grasp at straws like this now? Come on. It's yeah, and it's insane. And that actually, I was talking to one of the founders uh, about a year ago, and he was telling me that actually generated a bunch of uh, like really weird security threats. And they had to talk to the FBI about stuff. It was like really bizarre. Well, it didn't slow my wife down from spending money on Wayfair, so there's yeah, that. Well, that, they're, that they're, they're good at that. Um, and so the the last thing I did at Wayfair was I, I built this B2B team. So you think, generally you think of like, you know, consumers going to Wayfair, but we had a group that worked with interior designers and contractors and builders and that sort of thing. So we grew that up to be about a $400 million uh, division within Wayfair. Now I guess it's about a billion and a half or something. Um, and as part of that, we spent a lot of time leveraging technology to make the sales team more productive. And eventually Wayfair got a little bit too big for me. And um, I got to know the folks over at Yesware and sort of decided to switch sides and go from being sort of a buyer of technology to a, a seller of technology over at, at Yesware. Good deal. So what what led you to make the move? Um, you know, I, I'd, had a, I'd had a really good run at, at, at Wayfair. Um, it sort of done all the things that I wanted to do. I was, you know, it was pretty clear I wasn't going to be CEO of Wayfair because um, they've got a very good CEO that, you know, wasn't going, wasn't going anywhere. Um, and I, you know, I, I had been fortunate to have a bunch of different experiences over my career. And I like the huge public company thing is just not as much my cup of tea. Um, I found that um, I was just more drawn to like the earlier stage entrepreneurial stuff. And so the the biggest thing was like, it's not a knock against Wayfair. It's a great company. They continue to do well. Um, it just, you know, sort of like, I wanted to go back to doing something a little bit earlier stage again. So that was really the, the biggest driver. So why Yesware? What was the need that you felt like needed to be met? I mean, talk a little bit about that and, and how you're solving the problem now. Like there there has to be a frustration. I think that for anybody who leaves to found a company or a solution, there has to be something that was frustrating them that caused them to say, you know what, there's got to be a better way to do this, yeah. no matter what it is. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I've mostly been involved in in, or, in and around sales for most of my career, and we've had sales technology for a long time. But you know, like the early, the early versions of sales technology were mostly CRM, and CRM was mostly designed with the managers in mind. Like the original, re, like the original way that you know that CRM got sold like twenty or thirty years ago is you go around to a company and say, "Hey, look, like what happens if your top rep leaves the company? Like they're taking their Rolodex with them, and like then you're screwed." Uh, was sort of the way a lot of this stuff got sold, and and it, it's evolved over time to do more and more and more. And you know, companies like Salesforce have certainly come to the fore. But you know, there's an old joke about you know the reason they call it Salesforce is you have to force salespeople to use it, and so you know <laughs> as, as we've as we've evolved along the the journey here, like. There hasn't been as much as many technology that was really directed at the salespeople. And so the the founding sort of philosophy of Yesware was like, let's build technology actually for salespeople um, and not for the manager. And like, and what does that look like? And so the the first product that Yesware ever came up with was um, taking some of the sort of the marketing automation technology around email opens and applying that to a salesperson. So when you would send an email out and somebody opened it, you'd get a Chrome notification that said, hey, like somebody just opened your email. So you could do something about it, which a marketing marketer doesn't care about. They just care about, you know, the aggregate of open rates and reply rates. And that's sort of, but if you're a salesperson and someone's engaging with your content and you're top of mind, like you want to get to them right now. And so that was sort of the first innovation that then, you know, launched a bunch of additional um a bunch of additional features that we've built over time, but but still fundamentally with this idea that like Yesware is 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 mostly built for the salesperson. Well, I can it tell is, you what is. else it does, you know, and I've I've used a, a similar type product. Um, it makes you go, oh crap, I forgot to do that. When you mm. see that email get opened, yeah, and true. it's opened by the person that asked you for something, because like, man, if you saw my inbox, it is absurd. 
and I will, you know, I'm, I'm really bad about, yeah, I'll be right on it. And instead of me right clicking and creating a task from that email and putting it over in my task list or whatever, I just say, yeah, I'll get, I'll, I'll get it to you, you know, as quick as I can. And I'm on and the next thing, you know, it's buried under 500 other emails. And then three days later, I get the notification that so-and-so opened such and such. So guess what people, if you've ever gotten an email from me, like right as soon as you were getting ready to email me and ask me and follow up, I just told you my secret as to how we're just happen to be on the same wavelength every time. Right. So, <laughs> right. but it, it really does. It helps me stay in check with some of that stuff too. Um, and really it's neat because the person who you email right as they're getting ready to hit the send and you've got the, the, the email dropping into their inbox. They're like, that is so weird. I was yeah. just getting ready to email you, and I'm like, you don't oh, say. Imagine, yeah. yeah, imagine that. <laughs> right. It's it, it is always funny to call those people. Like you see them open something and and, and give them a call, and, and <laughs> I was just going through your email. Really interesting. <laughs> yeah. But it's well, great it, from a sales perspective too, right? Because a lot yeah. of times, you know, we'll go in and we'll. You know, we'll, we'll rec- we have to request information. Obviously, I mean, I don't know of a salesperson that doesn't need some level of information mm-hmm. to get a deal done. It doesn't matter what what you're selling, you know, as far as that goes. But specifically for us, obviously, we need to get underwriting information, loss information, all of that kind of stuff. And so it helps me keep track of some of that stuff too, so that when we're, um, you know, when we're waiting for things. I can see that people are actually opening emails, which leads me to believe, okay, maybe they're forwarding this to somebody else or whatever mm-hmm. else so that I have the ability. So I can see that they're at least working on it and remove some of the anxiety that I may have that I don't have the stuff I need yet. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, there's the old, like, you know, time kills deals, um, you know, idea that, you know, the, that person that you maybe just happen to get while they were already focused on your content. I mean, it's possible that they get, you know, all of a sudden like a call comes in, they get distracted. Now they forget about your thing and like, maybe they don't come back to it. So, you know, your, your ability to go, um, engage somebody in the moment when they're thinking about what you're doing is it can be pretty powerful. Absolutely. You know, kind of like we just talked about it's, it, sometimes it might even catch them off guard a little bit and, um, and then, and then you've got their attention. So that's huge. So we, you know, we obviously are in the insurance space, but this seems like it can really fit any type of industry. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, who your product works best for, if you have a target market or if, or if it really is just kind of something that can fit everyone. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, anybody that's, you know, selling anything uh, could could benefit from Yesware. So we have, you know, entrepreneurs that are basically the salesperson for their company. We have, uh, you know, big public companies like Yelp, where, the, you know, all their salespeople use Yesware. It, it sort of runs the gamut. I would say in general, we're probably, uh, you know, best suited for people that have maybe a little bit more of a a longer bespoke sales process. If it's like super highly transactional and it's really just about, you know, a numbers or a volume game, there's probably better tools out there. If like, if you're, you're really just trying to, to go for volume or sort of quantity over, over, Mm -hmm. uh, over quality. But, you know, to the extent that you're, that you're selling anything, whether it's yourself or your company or or a product or a service, and it takes a little bit of back and forth, uh, you know, yes, we're a tool like yes, where I would say is like, table stakes for sales productivity these days. Gotcha. So you've been with Yesware for how long now? Uh, It's been about five years, actually. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So over that five-year span, I'm sure things have changed quite a bit. Um, You know, talk a little bit about that and some of the things that you've had to do um, to adjust to to the market or just the way that people are receiving information these days. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's uh, I mean, for people that are sort of wonks about, you know, uh, sales and marketing tech, there's these, you know, in technology, you have these S curves that happen where it's like something becomes really popular, then it starts to, you know, sort of wane, and then the, the next thing sort of comes up. And uh, it was like, or, or the, if you're a QR code, it's you, right? Yeah, like right. you're here, then you go down, and now QR codes because of COVID are like the craziest. It's crazy to see how they've been revitalized right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, sometimes these things are predictable, and sometimes they're they're very unpredictable. Um, and if you go back a little bit further and you look at like some of the things that have been in vogue from 
from a sales perspective, you know, it was, you know, a decade ago, it was probably inbound marketing. Everything everybody's talking about inbound marketing, um, which is a lot, you know, when HubSpot sort of came, you know, and, and really got a bunch of traction. Then it became more about uh, account-based marketing. And then we started to see this, you know, at least in tech sales, the SDR, BDR function um, has sort of been the the one that uh, that has sort of been pretty popular recently. And now the latest thing is product-led growth, which is how we try to go to market at Yesware, which is free trial, and you can discover the software yourself and, and get value from it. And we hopefully see that, and then we, we, we start to sell to you. But one of the things that happened in that in that sort of the five years that I've been there was this SDR, BDR wave really got uh, a lot of momentum behind it. In in some ways, we, you know, Yesware has, has benefited from that. But what it, what's ended up happening is because tech like Yesware got pretty popular, people that used to be able to send maybe 100 emails a month all of a sudden could send 1,000 emails a month, 2,000 emails a month, three, you know, 10,000, whatever the number is. And so you, what you started to see was the volume of communication just going up unbelievably quickly. And so whereas maybe five, five or six years ago, you could get away with like a sloppily done um, email campaign to somebody. You know, these days it's really hard because one, you know, the spam protections are probably a lot tighter, but two, you know, people yeah. have already gotten 200 of these. And it's like, as soon as, this is my opinion, I, I don't have, you know, uh, hard data to back this up. But my opinion is that for people, as soon as people think that they're being spoken to by a machine or it's just automation and there's no human behind it, like these days you're done. Because we all get five million of those. Oh, especially mm -hmm. on LinkedIn, man. I'll chop them off at the knees every yeah. single time. Like, you know, come on, man. Seriously, I have my first name and middle initial in my LinkedIn. Like, it's David R. and then my last name, Carruthers. And so as soon as I see that you're sending a message to David R., I am going <laughs> right. to, A, just absolutely rip you a new one, and then, B, block you. Like, yeah. it's just it, – and it's, it is insane. It's, the it's bots sad are out of that, control. <clears throat> yeah. It's sad that marketing has gotten to that point. You know, but you brought something up, too. You know, it, it – I would caution people, you know, when you start sending out email and volume like that, if you're not using something like MailShake or something like that that's going to control how it goes out, especially with some of the tightened up restrictions of Microsoft 365 or Office 365 right now, like you can't, you, you just can't play around with email marketing because you're going to get blacklisted. Your I mean, your server will get blacklisted and none of your emails are going to go through. I mean, we're yeah. dealing with this. We do some level of email marketing right now and it's it's a very delicate dance you have to do because otherwise all your stuff's going to end up in people's spam or junk, period. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, and we, you know, our, our approach is, you know, and there are, there are pluses and minuses to this, but our approach is we're actually sending from your from your actual email account. And so like we, we, we plug directly into Outlook um, and we use the Outlook send same um, similar concept with Gmail. And so if, you know, whereas like some, you know, uh, you know, longstanding tradition in marketing and even some sales tech is basically uses like burner domains where it's like, it doesn't get sent from your domain. It gets sent from this other domain until everybody spams the shit out of it. And then it, you got to make a new yeah. one. Um, we, we actually use your domain, which can be good if you protect it, but the same thing can happen. Whereas, you know, yeah, if, if all of a sudden you start sending out thousands of crappy emails to, to addresses that may or may not be validated and it's bad content and everybody puts it into spam, like you can torch your domain very, very quickly. And then your, your deliverability, hmm. doesn't matter how good your message is, if it doesn't get delivered to the inbox, you're kind of screwed. Right. That's interesting. So here's a question. Yeah. Here's a question I have for you because I'm always interested and I'm sure that I, I would hope that people would tell you about wins that they've had using your software. Um, you know, because anytime I, I try a new toy and it works, I always want to give the right feedback to people. And if it doesn't work, I give them that feedback too, because hopefully it'll help them, you know, make their product better. What are, what are some of the biggest wins that you've heard from people uh, since they've started using Yesware? Yeah, we uh, there's one, there's one story that comes to mind, which was actually somebody that, uh, that used to be, uh, a rep for a company that Yesware used um, to provide a particular service, and it was a you know, it's a more higher end, you know, more expensive um, sort of intelligence service. And she was telling me one time that um, she was on the precipice of making her club trip for her company and needed one more deal to push her over the finish line. And a an open came through from an email she sent 
18 months ago and she immediately called the person <laughs> and said, Hey, like it's the end of the year. Like I, you, maybe you're not thinking about this. We could get a deal done if, if you're, if you're motivated to do it. He's like, you know what? Actually. Yeah. So she got the deal done and she made the club trip. And so for her, it's like the reason I made club that year was because of Yeswear. <laughs> That's awesome. It is funny that those trips usually come down to the wire. My wife works for ADP and they've got club and it's like every year <laughs> it's, it's the last week of the fiscal and you know, it never fails that like she needs to get a deal or two or, or whatever it is. And just scrambling at the end, pulling out all the stops. And that's a perfect way to do it. I mean, you can track, like that was somebody who hadn't reached out or had any contact really for 18 months, but you get a notification, you're able to give them a call and they just happen to be in the buying mood. I mean, that's, that's a perfect example of, of, of why this is a good feature to have. One think about it, we've had people on the podcast before that missed the trip by like 150 or $200 and were yeah. pissed that they missed it. And I'm like, well, I mean, like, at what point is it a participation trophy? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's right. like kind of, hey, it's either you hit the number or you don't. To me, that's kind of a real black and white thing. And if, I'm not a big fan of the company breaking the rules or bending the rules for somebody to accommodate them if they didn't hit it. Sorry, I don't care if you missed it by a dollar. You shouldn't go on the trip, period. I'm sorry. There's a lot of, a lot of you listening. They're going to hate my guts for that. And you know what? I'll give you some good information. It'll help you make more money down the road. You'll forgive me for it. But you know, we have rules for a reason, right? It's like I had somebody the other day. Settle down, I, safety patrol. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of what it was. It was I'll, 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 I'll think about it here in a second, but somehow we were going back and forth with something and it was like, they were, they were On bending the, the rules now just in, in conversation. Okay. It may even have been one of my kids. They were, they were bending the rules <laughs> saying maybe they had, Oh, I know what it was. Somebody had signed up for a, a LinkedIn, like a LinkedIn premium account that I was talking to and they must have had a glitch in their billing. And for like a couple of years, they, they kept that LinkedIn account, but never paid for it and had all the features and they were like bragging about it. And I'm like, that's, that's like kind of a moral hazard for me. I'm sorry, but I have a problem with that, you know? And, and they say, Oh, why well, would, you know, they make plenty of money, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you know, does that mean it's okay for me to go into the grocery store and shoplift steaks by stuffing them in my waistband? As long as I don't get caught, it's okay. It's not against the law for me to do that. Like there's no, there's no like concept that says it's okay to break the law. As long as you don't get caught, you've still broken the law. Right. So mm. same thing, man. Yeah. So let's let's talk about like industry segments for you. I mean, I know that when we were talking originally that, you know, b before we started recording that you said, you know, you're not overly familiar with insurance. I don't think you need to be for what your product does. This is a sales. This is a solution for sales in general. And Lord knows the insurance industry hinges on that. But you know, just for my own edification, where are you seeing the most the most penetration from a market share standpoint? What what segments of industry are you really strong in right now? Yeah, I mean, traditionally, a, a, a big part of our customer base has come from uh, tech sales. So you know, we've got big customers like you know Flywire and Monday.com and Groupon and Yelp. You know, the the list sort of goes on um, there. Part of the reason for that though is that we started with um, our first. Uh, application was Gmail only. It was a Chrome extension and that, that we sort of take over your Gmail experience and make it a little bit more of a, of a sales experience in, inside of Gmail. And we didn't actually have a really good Outlook product that we were proud of until about a year ago. Um, and so part of the reason I think we, we have a lot of tech sales customers is because so many industries, and I'm, I'm guessing commercial insurance is probably one of those industries, people mostly use Outlook versus use Gmail. And so I think we just frustrated people with the fact that like it, it didn't work as well as, as it should have. And so now, you know, we worked very closely with Microsoft for a couple of years. Now we've got a really good Outlook solution. It's really easy to use, um, which is one of the reasons why people like us. And so we're starting to see now different industry verticals starting to show up like financial services, like education, you know, like fundraisers for uh, for universities um, are showing up and using the platform. And, and so I'm expecting to see you know, more and more folks from industries that maybe wouldn't be in our, in sort of our, our traditional customer base starting to show up. Cause you're right. It's like, if you've got something to sell, um, you know, and you're not using a tool like Yesware, you're probably doing yourself a, a disservice. So the people that have been most successful using your product, what does that setup look like? I mean, I, I want to get into a little bit about 
And I mean, share as much as you as you feel comfortable sharing. Certainly, I'm not mm-hmm. going to ask you for like the coding and secret sauce of your of your product. But yeah. I, I'm I'm interested in what that journey looks like. So I mean, I can tell you from our perspective what it looks like when we get a notification. But you had mentioned um, earlier on again before we were talking about how you can enroll people in campaigns and mm-hmm. do all of these other things. So does Yesware itself have a bit of a CRM component to it, or are you integrating with a third party like a HubSpot or a Salesforce or an Infusionsoft or whatever they're calling themselves these days? Yeah, good good question. Yeah, so today we, we do integrate with Salesforce, but what we're finding is that you know, people, especially SMBs, which is where we, we get a lot of business from SMB because we have this product-led model where you can just show up and download it. And, you know, within 60 seconds, you're, you're getting value out of Yesware versus a big, heavy, you know, uh, top-down installation. So one of the things that we're finding is that people are generally not that not that psyched about their CRM. Um, and it's, it you know, it, it's no surprise given the, the history of a lot of these things. So, you know, we, we, do, we do integrate deeply with Salesforce, but we're increasingly pushing into trying to have more and more of that CRM experience exist inside of Yesware. That's not out um, out available to the public yet, but I would say within six months, you'll have a view of your contacts, you'll have a view of your contact history. It'll be easy for you to add those contacts into a into a campaign. We have what you can add contacts into a campaign today, but it's largely done via CSV or, or from an upload from a uh, from a Salesforce list. But there, there's any number of ways that um, that, that you can kind of that you can kind of handle that. And I, like our our end goal. Um, you know, given enough time and money is to actually allow somebody to run their sales team just on Yesware and not have to need like 20, you don't have to need a CRM plus a Yesware plus a Calendly and, you know, whatever other tools, you know, you want in like, you should just be able to run your sales team or, or your, your individual sales process on Yesware. Yeah, I mean, I think that's my rub with our industry specifically, and you you probably wouldn't know this, but it's just in order for us to be cohesive, it, it, not so much on the, the CRM side. I mean, the CRM that we use, I'm happy with. You know, it, it's got a lot of functionality. It, it, I bet you we're using like maybe 15 to 20% of what it's capable of, and it, mm-hmm. it still does wonders for us. But, um, <clears throat> you know... I just think that in the insurance industry, when we get a tool, it's like there's so many different products. It's like it, it's like there's a, a new component. one every day. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I feel right. like Doctor Frankenstein stuff. Yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like Doctor Frankenstein having to create a monster, you know, because everything is it's bolt on, and and you can't mm-hmm. just just go by. There, there is no one size fits all, and I mean, part of that's the nature of the beast too, right? You know, in in the insurance world, there there are so many just different variations of an agency you know Mm -hmm. are you life and health okay if you are are you small group large group obamacare are you you know are you doing only life are you doing life and financial planning are you doing main street business i mean i can and everybody listening to this certainly knows that and i think that's one of the things that makes it so difficult is because a, a product that's designed for an agency like ours that focuses on true middle market accounts is not has much different needs than somebody who has a bunch of walk-in traffic. Earlier on, the people who are listening to this wouldn't have seen it, but I had to get up. We actually had a walk-in for like the second time in four years. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, and it was it's crazy. It's a walk-in that was actually referred to us for a segment of business that we have started writing in Florida for mobile pet groomers, which is kind of niche. Hmm. But somebody had referred uh, a pet groomer that this lady knew referred her to come in. Dude, and sure Duran enough, she is was. just crushing the pet groomers. Just yeah, just wishing <laughs> she would have been here yesterday when he was here in person. He loves, <laughs> oh man, he loves writing pet I groomers. I, w- I would have paid. I'd love to that. just been quiet and see the interaction. Honestly, I know it would have been awesome. Yeah. Uh. So. But I mean, I think that's that's part of it, right? You know, it's interesting that I, I would have bet, I would have bet big money in, to tell to guess that your number one penetration in in terms of market segments would have been software sales. You know, IT sales of some sort. Yeah, it seems to me like as you, you know, troll around LinkedIn or wherever it is that you consume content or information. You know, I follow guys like Brian Burns and Josh Braun and some of these other people that are, you know, sales gurus, Mm -hmm. just because I feel like there's a lot of things in the sales game that are applicable regardless of what your industry is. So I always listen to those guys and then try and figure out how I can apply some of what they teach that I've not tried before to our industry. But 
you know, just the resources for sales, training, and development, and everything alone, all seems like that is the one segment of the economy that they all go after. Yeah, is IT sales and software hmm. sales and stuff. So yeah, and it's really, really competitive, man. You know, it's it's one of those things. And I think from our perspective, I'll I'll stay right. I'm good. I'll stay right where I'm at, man. Because this- they have to have what I have. People have to have workers' compensation. Right. They don't have to have a new software toy. And I think that that's a much different no matter how much the salesperson's convicted that they need it you have to you really have to convince somebody that they need what you have in our world they know they need what we have in terms of a product all we have to do is convince them to buy us because of our process and if we can do that then we're going to be golden the product piece for us is easy because Mm -hmm. the mechanics of it by and large are pretty similar across the board now there are things that could be Included in the tor- in the form of uh, exclusions, and agents can certainly miss things and not give a, an appropriate coverage. And I don't want to discount the importance of understanding coverage, but in the sales portion of what we do, the most successful agents that I know are never going out and going deep. And let me explain every single page of an insurance policy to you. They're not doing that. They're going in and saying, here are all the operational issues you have in your company. Yes, we can protect you with insurance, but in order for us to get the absolute best deal on that, Let's talk about all of these things that you're not doing well right now that contribute to the overall pricing model for what you're going to pay in your premium. And so just that difference alone tells me I'm just, I'm just fine where I'm at. I think it, I would have a very different, <laughs> as, as much as I think I can sell, yeah. I think it's a, it's a much more competitive and difficult sale in, in the software game than it is for what we do. Yeah. Well, I think also in the, I mean, I, I don't know a, a lot about commercial insurance. I have a few friends that, that are in this world and it seems like, you know, uh, commercial insurance for a long time has had what software is really trying to get at with SaaS, where it's like you get a recurring subscription. I imagine if right. you go through all the pains to get a customer and you understand their business, you're like, okay, well, here's what you need. And then it comes time to renew. Like, I think like for our like cyber insurance and DNO insurance, like I think it's like, it's a rubber stamp almost. I hope our, our brokers aren't listening to this, but it's like, <laughs> it's almost a rubber stamp because it's like, well, why am I going to go now and search for a new insurance person um, when this seems to be fine? And it's like, I got a million other things I'm dealing with. So, I mean, but, but is, so would you think that's different in, in the software industry just because it's always changing? Like there's, there's well, new technology. Well, I mean, they just don't have, it's, it's, I think that you, as you look at the way software has moved now, they figured out that the recurring revenue model is mm-hmm. where they want to be. So instead of trying to go, I think, and correct me, Joel, because I, I probably know less about software sales than you know about commercial <laughs> insurance, honestly. But I think that probably one of the first hurdles, you know, that a software company would run into would be the upfront cost to implement and bring it in, bring it in, and getting over that hurdle with the buyer and getting and having them understand why there's an implementation fee and why there's a huge upfront cost. Whereas now I feel like just, and this is just for my own shopping for things for the agency, it seems like that upfront cost has been softened a little bit many times that setup fee is waived i think it's more of a marketing tool than anything else oh well go ahead and waive your setup fee oh great you did it for the last 367 people as well thanks for making me feel special but they've moved into more of that recurring revenue model and you'll see that i mean anybody any one of us that goes out to buy something for the agency always is hooked by oh, wow, this product is only $720 a year. Well, guess what? That's if you're willing to pay $720 now. If you mm-hmm. don't want to do that, it's $99 a month, mm-hmm. then you're going to pay almost $1,200 for it. So yeah. you know, it's. It, I think part of it is that they've softened it a little bit. I think the other part of it is they figured out you know, people way smarter than what I am, how much they really need to bring in in a lump sum that if they have that money and they can deploy it into other areas, it's actually going to yield more than the uh, Eleven ninety nine or whatever would, if it's spread out over the course of twelve months, and so, you know, it, it's become more of a marketing thing. And I, I would be interested in looking at studies, and and they're, I'm sure they're out there to see how many people actually pay the annualized amount up front to save the money, versus the people who just put it on a month to month. Because mm-hmm. to me, guess it depends like, how much the upfront is. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's it's all it's everything, man. It's Calendly. Yeah. It's any of these these tools, I mean, I just picked up a subscription to Hunter.io, you mm-hmm. know, so that we can fill in email addresses and contact records that we don't have emails in so that we can, you know, have a, a complete record in our CRM. And again, I paid the annual fee because I 
could a could afford it and b i saved enough money it didn't make sense for me to have an installment charge but I can also flip the coin and make the other argument that for some of the smaller agencies that don't have the ability, I mean, look, I'm not knocking anybody. There was a time in my life when $720 just wasn't happening for an annual subscription, but I mm -hmm. could pay $75 a month and then bet that that is going to bring enough revenue or efficiency to my operation that I'll, I'll consistently be able to pay the $75 a month. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's agencies out there that that's, that's just what they do. And, and so that also allows the software company or whoever the company, the, the, the service provider or whatever, to be able to gain a sale that they otherwise may not have gotten, yeah, right? And true. they're saying, you know what? Yep. Here we go. I, I would rather sell it and string out the cash but make enough you know, interest, for lack of a better word, on stringing the monthly payments than I would not having anything at all. And I think that that's probably a big difference in the way things have happened. Um, you know, just in the last several years, I've seen that. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, the, the dynamics of what it costs to do something have changed a lot. So it used to be like when I first got into software, you know, we would sell some big, we'd have to sell Oracle servers and Oracle databases and Spark servers. And you're talking, you know, two or $300,000 for the hardware and somebody to set it up and screw it in. And there was just a lot to it. And now everything runs on the cloud and everything's getting cheaper and cheaper on the cloud. And so, you know, if, if I'm trying to compete with somebody and I show up and say, all right, well, actually, like you can start with Yesware for free and get some value out of it. And then if you like it, you know, pay us some money. And then if you really like it, commit to a year. Uh, versus somebody else coming in and saying, well, like before you can even try this thing, like we got to go through a setup and, you know, you got to pay me all this money. Mm -hmm. So so it's like the, the consumer is getting more and more power in this. And if you look at um, software prices over time, uh, and there, there's got another Boston-based company called ProfitWell that does a lot of good research on prices and packaging and what people are doing. Um, prices have come down very, very significantly for software over time. Um, it's very highly deflationary, and and it, it's hard. Hmm. The average number, the average for the average software startup today. Uh, I think that the stat is seven or eight years ago, you might have had five competitors, and now you've probably got twenty. Because um, it's it's just not as expensive to set this stuff up. There's this you know, big open source world where you can stand up um, you know applications relatively quickly. You've got Amazon. You got all these things that you didn't have you know ten or fifteen years ago, and that's really driven a change in how people are able to sell software and also how people are, are able and expect to buy it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what morphs over the next little bit. I think that. Um you know, with with COVID and things getting back to the way they used to be, where we're able to do things in person, it's going to be interesting to see how some of these technologies that have profited from COVID change, if they mm -hmm. change at all. You know, I mean, I think like Zoom, for example, my goodness, I mean, yeah. Zoom, yeah. Zoom had like a, a pretty major data breach and that just sort of got swept under the rug. Like it was almost like it went away like hunter biden's laptop you know but um oh did i say sorry about that um but no seriously it's like i didn't even i haven't heard anything at all about that since and i know that i rely heavily on zoom and i think that a lot of our clients at this point are really cool with just doing zoom meetings instead of taking time out of their day well yeah think about too like how many other platforms there are out there like zoom but i mean when anybody's talking about doing like a video conference or chat or whatever, it's all, you just say, let's jump on a zoom. Well, that's, right? that's like, outstanding. In my opinion, that's outstanding branding because that's what I'm go to webinar has been around for how long go to meeting has been mm -hmm. around for how long? Yeah. Well, nobody, that's what we used to use that. at co-ad. We use go to meeting yeah. and, and all that sort of thing. And I just like totally forgot about it. WebEx. <laughs> now you, know. now, yeah, yeah. Now you right. hear, now you hear one word, right? Either zoom or teams. Those are the two. Mm hmm. Oh, you yeah. want to jump on a Teams? You want to jump on a Teams? You want to jump on a Zoom? Those are the two that I hear more frequently than anything else. Right. And so, you know, it's just it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting study to see what that looks like going going forward. What 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 do you see coming in the future for you? I mean, I know you said that you're looking to try and make this thing an all in one solution. Right now, you know, you're you you have the email piece of it. What what's the next step in that evolution from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, we're so we're currently, as I mentioned, we're, we're working on adding sort of a, a a contact view that sort of builds itself. So what we 
what we'll, we'll go, what we'll do is we'll go through, we're already doing this anyway. We're going through all your inbox to see who you're talking to. So we'll start to build all those contacts. We'll build your communication history with those contacts. And then, you know, similar to, to what you were talking about with hunter.io, we'll allow you to, to then start to enrich information about those folks. So if you want to find out a little bit more about them, so you can write a more personalized email, um, eventually give you the ability to say like, oh, I actually need to find a bunch more people that look like this person or, you know, help me find more people that are, you know, in the mid market in the in Florida and in, in, in some particular industry and show me those contacts, um, allowing yes, we're to sort of travel with you around the web. So if you're doing some research and, you know, let's say you're on, uh, you know, I, I don't know, um, you know, University of Central Florida website, and you're trying to figure out who the provost is, like, we'll, we'll give you some view of like, well, here are all the people that we, we, we know there, you know, do you want to do you want to pay to get their contact information? A lot of people to to very quickly just go and, and add that confirmation, add that content information, and then you know we already have the ability to put people into a camp a, a communication campaign. So you could say you know send them this email if they don't respond, send them that email if they don't respond, hit them up on LinkedIn if they don't respond, call them you know, that that type of stuff. Hmm. So so the the idea would be. I mean, I guess if I think about what what I hope for, we we could deliver for salespeople. A lot of what we've done to this point is 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 saving salespeople time. So it's like you you shouldn't waste time doing things twice. If you could do a template, do a template. If you can do a campaign, do a campaign. It's it's usually the same. Like don't do that. Um, and then the the second thing is okay. Well, what what's all the intelligence that we can give you so you can so you can work smarter? So giving you you know open information, giving you information about your your history of communications with some. Somebody giving you information about who this person is beyond just what you what you might know about them, and then uh, eventually, what what we want to start to do more of is um, we're working on building this now. That this thing we call the sort of the universal to do list, which is the place to store all of your tasks, whether it's like I got to go remember to get the milk, or whether it's like oh I should follow up with this person, or oh I've got a I've got these three calls to make. Um, getting that to be a place where like everything that you have to do is done there, and, and the 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 concept behind that is you know sales is hard enough and. You know, you think about it in tennis, they talk about this concept of like forced or unforced errors. Like, okay, well, you know, you you know, Serena just hit a hundred mile an hour serve down the middle. Like, you missed it. Like, that's a that's an unforced error. Like, who is going to get that? But then it's like you get a you, know, you get an easy ball to you and you slap it into the net. That's an unforced error. And and I think for sales. You know, a, a lot of what ends up happening to people is it's a hard job. You get busy, a million things happen. You know, David, you were talking earlier about your inbox. It's like mm-hmm. you forget about something and it's like, you know, that's an unforced error if you forget about somebody. It's like in a perfect world, what ends up happening is you decide to break up with somebody either because it's not the right time or they're not the right fit. But you don't like things just don't happen to you. You know, if you could be so be very intentional with your time so that you knew that all the people that I'm talking to right now are the people that I want to talk to. And I'm, I'm sort of I'm full up, if you will. And the, the people that are not ready, like I'm putting them into, you know, into keep warm mode for six months, I'm going to revisit it again. And so trying to get to a place where all of that becomes, a, you know, systematized for for reps, and they don't have to do so much of that work themselves is really where we're, where we're ultimately trying to take it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's huge. I mean, just think about like a typical day. I mean, you're getting... Uh, emails, you're getting phone calls, like we just had a walk-in, like you're receiving all this information. And if that's all not all housed in one spot, you're going to lose stuff. I mean, like I've got, I've got reminders on my, my legal pad. I've got reminders in HubSpot. I have stuff in Outlook and it's like, you know, that's all good, but those are three different places on my phone, you know, four different places that, um, that I'm, that I'm having to check and, and, and make sure that I'm, you know, wrapping everything up the right way. And it's definitely, definitely easy to miss things for sure. Um, yeah. so I, I think that's important. Yeah. I'm going to go back to something real quick because I want to do it before I forget. You know, I think it's an interesting, um, move for you to be able to offer people to pay to, get more information. I mean, ultimately the email address is the Holy grail. That's what you want from somebody. It used to be the phone number or the cell phone or whatever else, but it seems like, you know, for as much automation is out there in the marketplace to be able, you know, to be able to just do drip campaigns and mm-hmm. everything else, you, you need that email address. How do you envision that? I mean, that's not something you're doing right now, or mm-hmm. it is something you're, you're doing. Uh, it, we're, it's something that we're piloting. So we've got, um, uh, some folks that we're working with that are the sort of the providers of the information, if you will. And, and what we're now working on is sort of the, the 
user experience of that of like how do we surface to somebody that we have their information um, what's a pricing structure for buying it how you know if you want to buy a you know get information for a bunch of people at once how does that work so we're we're currently building all that uh, that functionality what what we're sort of envisioning is you know because we try to offer at least some portion of our all aspects of our product for free is we'll probably do something similar to, to what some others are doing where it's like you'll sh- like if you're on the free tier of yes where we'll give you a certain amount of contacts so you can enrich each month for free like five or i don't know what the number will end up being and then if you want to get more then you've got to either you know buy a monthly subscription or an annual subscription so that'll that'll get you you know hundreds or thousands or, or some other number like that but um but it, it probably the, the incentive for people to try it would be hey like come and try it and we'll give you a few for free and you can see if the data quality is any good you can you know test it out and then you, hopefully you like it and you get some value out of it and you're willing to, to pay a little bit more for it yeah that's what i was wondering if you were just gonna you know do it as a one-off like you can pay x like a dollar to get this email address or whatever or if you were just gonna sell it in units or blocks or whatever so they got x number a month or was it going to be a hybrid model to where if people you know didn't want to have to commit to you know spending the money to get 500 email addresses a month maybe they want to pay a little bit just back to the same pricing model we were talking about before right yeah it's interesting we we have thought about this concept of a of like a micro transaction where it's like okay well yeah, if you want to, if you want this contact right now in this moment, just pay us a dollar, and you can get it. But like you know, we, it, yeah. we, what you run into that though is the processing fees probably make it somewhat cost prohibitive, right? Because depending on who your card processor processor is, when you start getting into these microtransactions, you abandon you know you abandon the just percentage model. They put a flat fee per transaction yep. plus a percentage, and you might be making you know I don't want to say seventy five cents on the dollar, but many times it's like twenty or twenty five cents just for the transaction to happen plus three percent or 2.5 percent or whatever they charge you to to handle the card so i mean i don't even know that it makes sense for you to be able to do it at that point yeah there's i i don't know either i mean it's um you know one of the benefits of of delivering product in the way that we deliver it is we get a lot of information back about what people are doing and so ideally the way that you know, that we develop products in the best way is we, we test things out and we watch what people do. And if it works, we do more of it. If it doesn't work, we change and we try something else. And, you know, that that's a benefit of having, you know, a, a pretty big user base is we put something out there, people find it, people start tinkering with it. So we say, all right, well, nobody would pay a dollar. Will they pay $2, you know, or, uh, you know, you know, people want to pay $30 a month for a hundred, but actually, you know, that's not a good deal for us. So how about if we do, you know, 50 for, uh, you know, 125 or something. Um, so that I think we'll just have to. I think we'll just have to figure that out in the field with ex, with experimentation. So another question I had was, you know, you guys obviously with a good number of clients have the ability to see trends across your entire user base. Are you able to use that data to provide intelligence and reports to your users? You know, obviously you're not going to name what everybody's doing, but I mean, just in broad strokes to help them enhance best practices and get the most return on their investment with your product. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 yeah, we do that. In fact, um, uh, you know, just do a little uh, a plug for our blog, um, uh, which you can find um, from our, our, our webpage, yesword.com. You can um, see at the top, there's a link to our blog. And in our blog, we have tons of data-driven posts like that. And we've got a uh, um, an ebook that you can download um, about sort of the latest sales engagement trends where we look at subject lines, we look at time of day that people are sending, we look at, you know, the types of email campaigns that seem to be working versus not working, um, which you can, there's a lot of sort of practical tips you can, uh, you can use right away, we, you know, we don't charge anything for it. Um, so yeah, and that's, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, something like a billion sales interactions a year between sends and replies and opens and all that stuff. So we've got a uh, quite a big data set from which to be yeah. able to, to draw conclusions from. Nice. Good deal. Well, what in the what what could we possibly have missed? I mean, I think we've peppered a bunch of different things about yesware. What what do you want to get out that we haven't talked about, Joel? 
Um, well, I mean, I, I guess I would say that, um, you know, for, for your audience that, that maybe hasn't experimented with tools like this, I would say, you know, w- whether or not you use a Yesware, you should use something like a Yesware, because if you're, if you're not using a tool like Yesware, you're operating minimally at, a, at an information disadvantage to your competitor, and also probably a time disadvantage to your competitor, because you're just not using your time as efficiently um, as you could. And so I would encourage people to, you know, to, to come to the website, you can start a free trial, and we've got a free tier of Yesware you can use, you can get uh, email tracking for up to 24 hours for unlimited events so you know there, there's some stuff that you can tinker with and and see if you have some success and in that changes and if you want you can pay for it and if you don't like yes where there's other alternatives on the market that, that do things that are similar to what we do but I think the, the biggest thing is to just to try it um, and uh, you know in tools like ours are, are I would think pretty easy to use if you're not using all the all the all the advanced features you can use, at least get a little bit of value out of it right away and you know and try to you know, try to use technology to, to up your sales game. I mean, the, the goal is to is to be able to spend more time on, you know, the conversations that you were talking about earlier about, like, you know, trying to understand somebody's business and like, what are their, what are their policies today? Like, what should they be like? What are their blind spots? Like, you don't want to be spending time, you know, writing, sending the same email over and over again or wasting time on that. Like the, none of that stuff really at the end of the day matters. It's about the, the conversations and the questions that you're asking people, the things that really, really matter in sales. So we're just a helper, you know, to try to, to, uh, to, to get people in position to have those conversations. But I would, I would just encourage people to, to, to give it a, give it a whirl. If it's not us, like try somebody else. There you have it, people. Yeah. So where do they find you, Joel? Uh, yeah, you, you can find us at uh, www.yesware.com. Um, you, you can download the software. You get a link to download the software there. You can check out our blog there. Um, and uh, you know, if if you, if you wanna if you wanna reach me, you can always reach me, Jay Stevenson at yesware.com. And I assume there's a link for them to sign up for a demo or whatever um, the next steps would be when they get there, right? Yep. Yeah, we're we're pretty in your face about that, so. <laughs> I would expect cool. nothing less, actually. <laughs> um, but you know, at the end of the day, people, this is actually this is a really good tool. It, it's something you know. I, in full disclosure, we do not use Yesware in the agency. Um, anybody listening to the the um, podcast knows that we use HubSpot. You also know that HubSpot is extremely expensive and comes completely undeveloped. So it's not just expensive to buy the software, but it's extremely expensive to hire somebody to do it for you. And it's even more expensive if you try and do it yourself and don't really know what you're doing because your hourly rate is more valuable out producing business than it is programming a CRM to do what you need to do. So I think I can say unequivocally that Joel's product is a better price point for somebody who's looking to have this functionality than running out and buying a full-blown subscription to HubSpot. So I would encourage you to go and uh, I, I would encourage you to go and do the demo website out, do the demo and watch how this works. I mean, this is everything that they're doing is basically what we're doing in our agency. It's just in, in our world, it's a small component of a much bigger bill and product every month. And it's not not every agency out there needs what we have. In fact, many will ne- most don't need what we have. Um, so I would encourage you to check it out. I think it's a, a great technology that will put you in a position to compete with people who don't have it. And the one thing I can tell you is if you if you don't have this to give you a leg up, at some point, you're going to find out who does, and it's going to be too late. So we're going to wrap up with that. Joel, I appreciate you taking some time to come on the podcast, man. Really anxious to watch how you guys continue to grow and expand. I wish you nothing but the best, man. I love having tech people on here and hearing what they're doing and how they can help our industry, even if they haven't, you know, if, if they're not full bore in the insurance industry. And I think sometimes, you know, it's a refreshing thing. We get our industry gets so focused on insure tech, you know, that's of agents, by agents, and for agents that we miss the fact that there are actually tech professionals out there that have really, really good products that will work in insurance. Not everything has to come from an insurance agent that was pissed off and looked for a better way. There are things out there that already exist that can easily be adapted to our industry. So I really appreciate you coming on, man. I look forward to releasing this, and I wish you guys nothing but the best, and we'll certainly be following you going forward. So thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed the conversation. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. 
You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.